Welcome to the Governance and Leadership Demystified podcast, where we share educational and inspirational stories that delve deeper into the governance and leadership journey. Without further ado, introducing your host, the CEO and founder of Synergy Executive and Boards Consulting Group, Trish Mendewo. It is my pleasure to welcome David Crawford to our podcast today. David is a chartered professional accountant, an environmental professional, and a chartered director. David is also a knowledgeable business leader with executive level experience in strategy development, implementation, governance, risk management, and sustainability, among many others. Most recently, he spent seven years at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade as the Vice President and Assistant Secretary Treasurer, where he led the finance, technology, and events teams. Under Davis' leadership, the Board of Trade hosted many high-profile speakers, including the former U.S. President Barack Obama, Prime Ministers Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau, and many other business leaders political and community leaders. David sits on several nonprofit boards, and he is also a member of the Institute Corporate Directors, which is also known as ICD. Welcome, David. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm so happy to join you today. I am excited to have this conversation because you and I have talked about governance off and on for a few years there. And I just know the passion that you have and I know all the knowledge that you have. And I'm so eager for you to share with everyone else. So this avails us that opportunity. Uh, Most certainly it does. Thank you. So yeah, so let's start off by um, talking about the most important thing that you want the audience to take away from today's conversation. Well, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm in preparation for our uh, conversation or discussion today. I was thinking about a broad spectrum of different kinds of organizations, both in geographically and, and types of organizations. And I was thinking, well, we talk about diversity on boards, and, and often it's about conversation about gender um, or background or race. And I thought, well, there's actually something missing in the conversation. And when I, I listen to, um, I sit on one nominating committee, where I sit on boards and my colleagues are on the, on the nominating committee. Um, I've been able to, to listen to their conversations, and they do have the conversations about, about diversity in, in a broader sense, but one of the things that's often missed, and a good chair of the board and a good chair of a nominating committee will also look at behavior. And I say that because highly functioning boards that function at a high level, they have a diversity of different behaviors on the board, as opposed to people that are exclusively inclined to be one way or another, and that, that's not a criticism of a specific behavior type or decision-making type of behavior. Uh, but if you don't have diversity of behavior, you can't have diversity of the board. And, and that, because boards need to challenge one another, they need to discuss things thoroughly, you know, the pros and cons. Uh, they need to hold management accountable for what's being proposed. Um, and if you have too many people that behave the same way, that becomes increasingly difficult. And I just thought it's something that's often missed when um, people put up their hand and say, hey, I wanna be on a board. And they write a letter with their background and their CV, but they don't actually just in many ways communicate what their behavior is like around the board table or could be. And that's about um, the strength that they bring um, to a board, because don't forget that, that, you know, that boards can often be situational and they're not, they don't always need to be constructed the same way. And they change slowly over time as people come and go from the board. 
um, you know, but there are cases like in a crisis, having certain types of board members and behaviors that will act quickly as opposed to stand still and do nothing as an example, um, you know, obviously is helpful. And so I think that that's often missed when organizations look at, at diversity inside the boardroom. Is, yeah. uh, and, and I think what it does is it excludes people that don't often aren't in, invited to become a member of the board because the, the boards simply either ignore or, or don't even don't even consider dis, decision making types. And I, and I have a couple, I'll, some examples I'll share with you today oh, uh, just to give you and your listeners some examples of what what the different ty- types are. And again, it's not to to promote one over the other. It's to say that they're different um, yeah. and they bring different yeah. strengths. Uh, you touched on something so important there because when you talk about the diversity of behavior, it actually also implies to that visible minority or the woman that's coming on the board. Uh, I'll just quickly share today I was talking to someone and we're talking about having tokens on the board. Right. So if you look at the diversity of behavior and you bring in someone, if you bring a black woman or an intersectional person that has the tendency to be quiet and cannot really raise their voice and the chair does not recognize that that voice is going to be silenced and it's going to be a token. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a good chair will uh, encourage both, you know, extroverts and introverts to participate. Mm-hmm. Um you know, by sometimes um, encouraging the extroverts to let the introverts speak um, and things like that. So yeah, you know, it's a role that increasingly the chair has a a significant impact on the success of a new board member um, in many ways, because especially if they come to an organization, not because they're a tech subject matter expert, because most boards don't need more subject matter experts, to be blunt. You know, energy companies don't need more oil and gas engineers. They really don't. They need diversity. And so when new board members come, it's increasingly important for a good chair to understand or appreciate what are the behavioral types of the different board members so that they can maximize their contribution. For sure, you need those diverse questions that come from them. I'm a fan of Simon Sinek. Studying, I'm sure you are as well. (laughs) Yeah, and and what I I wanted to do is maybe just talk to you about, there's a really good book that I often refer to and it's called Inside the Boardroom. And uh-huh. so what I did today is I took some notes from this book today. So I want to be clear about attribution that these are not my original thought, but this book does a great um, service to looking at behavioral based dynamics inside a boardroom. And so <laughs> I, I just I took some notes from that book today that I thought I'd share with you just to give you know people that are taking the time to to uh, listen to our conversation and dialogue today about what are some of the examples of different types of functional and dysfunctional behaviors inside the boardroom and why enlightened nominating committees and boards are looking at just that as well as, as, you know, obviously technical skill and competence representation um, at the board, but also looking to make sure they don't have too many of a one type of decision-making characteristics, because if you have the same, you're going to get the same decisions over and over for sure. And just like a lack of diversity, you're going to get the same decisions and not to criticize how boards make decisions, but they can be formulaic if you don't have diversity in the boardroom. Yes, for sure. You end up with that group think, right? Yeah, yes, and or bad decisions that lead to negative consequences, as opposed to, you know, boards challenging one another. And I'll talk a little bit about that uh, more towards the end of our conversation today. So what yeah. I thought I'd do is just talk to you about um, some functional and then dysfunctional types of sort of descriptors of different decision making types. So just give you some examples. For sure. Um, and then we can have a dialogue about that. Um, and again, from from this book. And so the it does a really good descriptor of, of, of really four four different types and then two different types of, of chairs of the board. And I've seen some of these behaviors, not all of them, uh, and I can speak a little bit to some of them, mostly to the positive, but it 
to the negative uh, in one example. But, you know, really, when you look at functional directors, they, they, there's really kind of four types. And so the first one is a change agent. So somebody that will believes in change, they're uh, transparent about it, but they're not afraid to cause or force change in an organization. And they don't tend to do it because change is just for the change's sake, but they do it with the best interest of the organization in mind. That's one example. The second example is uh, consensus builders. And these types of functional directors can often be very helpful where you've got different, significant differences of opinion in the boardroom. And they often come with superior conflict resolution skills and listening skills as well. So that's, so you've got your change agent, your consensus builder. The third one is a counselor and you could call them a coach. Uh, they're often very persuasive and have very, very high credibility, personal credibility for uh, tangible and in, in um, sort of intrinsic uh, reasons as well. But they're often viewed by their peers to be uh, a voice of reason and they have the ability to um, help other people become better personally and professionally as, a, as you know, as, as the term counselor implies. And the other one is a challenger and someone who will, you know, challenge the status quo and they're particularly effective at representing the rights of shareholders, stakeholders, depending on the nature of the board that they're on. And they are often very good at being critical, but without being obnoxious about it, especially if organizations need to change and or uh, there's been groups that going on there, they, they can step in. And so in summary, the, you know, those are four types of uh, decision-making characteristics on a board. So it's the change agent, the consensus builder, the counselor, and the challenger. And again, you can use your own judgment on, on maybe where you fit or someone you know fits, or maybe where if you want to be on a board, what, which one of those would you bring as a skill? And you could actually put on a, on a resume or a CV to, to signal about to a decision maker, nominating committee, just what kind of decision making attribute you'll bring to, to a board um, as well. Because again, it's often silent or unknown, um, as opposed to looking at skill experience in a typical kind of interview process. And then when there's the positive, there is also the negative. And again, looking at a couple of, of types of four types of behaviors that are really, really unhelpful at a board. And I've, I've, I've witnessed a couple of these two in specifically in boards that I've served on. And so one is the controller. They just want to control everything. And they really, they're never satisfied. You can never make them happy. And they just, they revel in dissent because it causes chaos at the boardroom table. And it's very distracting. So that's one type. The other one is the conformist. And they just stand there and they, they're, they're often viewed as nice people, but they don't actually say or do anything. They don't rock the boat. They don't like, they're, they're just wasting space and time on the board. They're not actually doing anything um, as a conformist. The other one is the cheerleader. And they tend to be viewed as overly optimistic. They over-exaggerate to the positive. But really what they're doing is they're just constantly praising people without actually critically thinking about what they're doing. And it's that critical thinking piece. And they may be well-intentioned, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't contribute to good decision-making or it's just a waste, literally a waste of time. It's not adding to the decision-making capacity of a board. So you've got your controller, your conformist, your cheerleader. And the third one is the critic and just someone who can't be constructive. They can't be objective. And they really just criticize for the fake, for the sake of, of, of criticizing. And they're, they're different than the controller who just wants to send, but to be, an effective critic, you have to be objective in your criticism, mm -hmm. right? And it has to be situationally appropriate or you're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking a challenging question, but if it's just for the sake of asking 
a question or asking questions you know that can't even be answered in some cases yeah and if you don't have any suggestions yourself and you're just there to criticize yes absolutely and 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 so they just i, I just wanted to give you those you know the, the the positive examples being again the change agent the consensus builder the counselor and the challenger and the negative example the controller the conformist the cheerleader the critic good nominating committees will begin to look at the skill sets around the board they boards often do a skill, a skill matrix well this needs to be there is what kind of attribute do, do board members bring and and i say that because if you have a special committee of the board the chair might look at the decision-making characteristics of certain board members if you're going into a particularly hostile situation or a very positive situation you, you may want different board members at the table um, mm. and or understand the culture of the organization or if you have a crisis uh, mm. something that goes wrong whether it's reputational or it's related to physical assets like a, you know you have a fire or something or um, there's loss of life unfortunately you know in your workplace things like that it's just really helpful to to understand what um, uh, you know and also for for candidates for the board what do you offer uh, mm -hmm. to a board as well um, if you're no, looking I, at hmm. I totally appreciate that you know that mindset because I see from the work that we do when we are recruiting for boards you have some nominating committees that are really forthcoming with the information and they'll tell you this is a difficult board you need, and they'll tell you what kind of a person they're looking for in other words, some of them will tell you, we're not looking for someone who's going to be just a pushover, mm -hmm. who's going to be shy from asking the questions because they're going to be bulldozed by the board, right? And they tell us that in confidence so that when we are searching, we are looking for exactly these characteristics that you're talking about. However, for the board that are doing their own recruitment, you find they do not have this on their metrics. A lot of them just focus on the skill set but we know there's so many dimensions of attributes that they should be looking for in order to really have the right people on the board and in order to have the right questions being asked. Well, and I, um, I'm, I'm really fortunate that the, the, to, well, chair, to inherit the chair of, of a very a high functioning board of Muscular Dystrophy Canada, which is a national medical charity. And we've actually gone down the road of asking some questions about the makeup of our board because there's, it is very national and, and, and we're geographically dispersed all over the country. We're also kind of a, a bit of a motley crew of, of different ad, like because we have some stakeholders on the board, medical professionals, those affected with muscular dystrophy, fundraisers. And so it's a really broad section. We've recently decided to have a look at, you know, what are the decision-making characteristics of the people on the board? As we look at term, you know, some folks that, that, that this is their last year on the board and uh, again, this book inside the boardroom does a great, I, I borrowed the, le the lexicon that the authors created and, mm -hmm. and there's really uh, four things that I think are important and, and you have to ask the question, why do you want to be on a board, you know, make a difference, contribute to your community, there may be a financial motivation, you know, they're all legitimate, but w when individuals end up on boards, you know, often sort of the number one gate they go through is, you know, are you a subject matter expert, accountant, lawyer, do you have industry experience, things like that or you represent a community or geographic location in some cases, because boards are sometimes uh, nominated, like uh, think of some of the provincial boards that the province, you know, they have to rep representation from all over the, not just Metro Vancouver or just a specific place. But I, I think there's, there's some other ones that, that are a, a bit lost on people as well. And sometimes you can be a process expert, like in governance. You know, you can be on a board where you, you don't actually need to know anything about the industry, but the board itself needs more rigor or it has a, a need for your experience on perhaps consensus-based decision-making 
um, or even making decisions because sometimes boards get paralyzed for a variety of reasons. Yeah. But also there can be relationships and that can be relationships with stakeholders, governments, but it also can be relationships to find future board members. And I think that's a bit lost on people sometimes as well, that, you know, there, there are, you know, the human connection at the end of the day is really important. And, you know, I always encourage people when they, if they approach me about for some coaching, how, how and why to apply for a board. Well, boards like potential and nominating committees and the potential of you on your skill, on your process, but also your existing relationships. And so if you can help introduce other people to the board or even to sometimes committees need support from non-board members, depending on, you know, the life cycle of a board and what they're doing. So there's, there's a, a number of things, but I, I think that enlightened boards are beginning to move away from skill, purely skill-based assessment, because I don't for think sure. it does any organization a lot of justice. For sure, for sure. And, and you find that when you're recruiting those board members, they're often very passionate people. We have, uh, they join the board so they can advocate for specific causes. But having the various thoughts can cause moments of divide you know, on the board. How can directors disagree in the boardroom without being disagreeable? Well, and I think the, that was my second point. And I, I, I think that's a, an art, it's a skill. And you almost, if it doesn't come to you naturally, like if you may come from an industry where confrontation is normal, like that's just the way that, that it is, or culture in a workplace that is like that, you know, in many ways. And I think the, the you know, this is why some, in, in many ways, former athletes and coaches make good board members and good executives because they're used to being challenged on, and almost getting immediate feedback, right? When something doesn't go well or when it goes really well and, and they're successful in it, especially in a team-based sports environment. And I think that, you know, I, I like to call that the really important point that you just raised about being able to disagree without being disagreeable. If you want to disagree with someone and be disagreeable, your fellow board members will not react to you very well, in fact, or they'll just ignore you in many ways, or they won't include you in conversations that sometimes are in the hallway or over lunch because they, they view you as being obnoxious, to be blunt. And, and I, I think that that can't be lost on people. And I, you know, I, I like to say it's trying to master the art of being curious without being obnoxious and yeah. genuinely curious. And I say that because one of the most important things a director has to understand is you must be prepared to change your mind or your opinion. And a lot of people, especially if you go in representing or wanting to advocate on something because you know it's emotionally or even spiritually important to you, and that doesn't diminish it, but you, know, you have to be prepared to change your mind. And I, and I say that, which leads to one of the most important things on, on, on being on a board, and that's that boards speak with one voice. And that voice is often the chair of the board. And even if decisions are not unanimous, they're still decisions of the board. And one of the most destructive things that can happen is when a board member goes out in public or communicates something that is contrary to the board's official position and decision. It's poisonous in many ways. And this is where you have to be emotionally mature enough that if you didn't, if something didn't go your way at the boardroom table, you have to be prepared to circle back and talk to your board members and understand perhaps why something um, you brought a motion and it was defeated or there was something important on the agenda that you thought was going to be approved and it wasn't approved or delayed in, in some cases. And I think that, that that it's not something that's well understood by board members, especially new board members as well. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with being enthusiastic at the boardroom table, but the board has to speak with one voice or it becomes dysfunctional really quickly. But do you find that in some boards because of that lack of mentorship as well as lack of even onboarding board members come in 
and they'll end up doing things like going in outside going outside and speaking about the board decision and you know not speaking as one voice you even see some going to the media well yeah and it's also a great way to get removed from a board um, seeing that happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think people really understand how powerful that is. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with the board, but you have to be able to communicate the decisions of the board. Yes. And that could be back to if you're a, a nominating entity, the nominating entity like your union or its community association, they may not like the result, but you've got to have the moral fortitude to stand up and say, this is the decision the board made and that you did advocate for, you know, and this is the part of being understanding the other person's perspective or the other board, the board's perspective on perhaps why a decision was made or wasn't made. And you're, you can talk about those dynamics without attribution to a, like to a person, but, you know, say the board talked about, you know, subject A, subject B, subject C, but the decision was to the negative or to the positive, you know, depending on the situation. And I, I think that that's where, when you get dueling members and somebody who is now retired told me, if you ever see dueling members in public on a board, don't join the board. Exactly, exactly. And going back to the point that you made earlier, the council table, we talk about coming to the table with an open mind. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be an empty mind, but you have to be open, right? And that openness allows you to have the conversations and to have the discussions, the wholesome discussions that then will lead to the decision. And whether the decision is in your favor or not, you have to respect it because you had that opportunity to, you know, to have the conversations. Uh, absolutely. And you can do that in advance of a board meeting. You can ask for a conversation with your, you know, again, peer to peer, right? Board members are equals. And even the chair of the board is still a member of the board. They just happen to be charged with running the board, but it doesn't give them, make a, make them a super board member. They're still a board member. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's the being curious piece, which is when you get to the board level, you're now dealing with the, the wholesome organization. There is mm -hmm. no way in the world that I, a functioning person who wants to be a board member, can understand every asset of a board or of a, of a, and, and an organization. And once you cross all the various functional parts of any organization, because there's going to be specializations and things like that. So encourage new board members to ask questions about either topics, they don't, subjects or departments they don't understand, but also to ask, well, why? You know, could you, could you just help me understand why, why something happens or who, who makes a decision? you know, or even financial performance, what caused that to happen, either negative or positive. And it's those clarifying or context questions that really help to understand, well, to A, to learn. So, you know, once you're in year three on, on a board, you tend to understand the nuances of, of, you know, how management reports the specific attributes of an industry or type of organization, if it's non, if in a nonprofit sense, or if it's mandate or charter based. But if you're brand new and no one should get upset, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. People should be happy to answer those questions. And sometimes they will happen at the boardroom table or they're minuted as a follow-up conversation with perhaps even a staff person like the treasurer or, or the, you know, somebody who holds the title of in the organization that is leading a department of like engineering or marketing or philanthropy or whatever it is hmm. um, and spending some time with them to learn just the, the nuances. Because again, again, if you're joining a board with subject matter expert or subject matter expertise or, or industry expertise, you're likely to understand some of those nuances. But if you're stepping into a brand new industry, it is reasonable to expect you're going to ask some questions. Yep. You have to have your who, what, why, when, right? Yes. And I, I think that's the, you know, the piece of, again, having a good chair who will invite people to speak or invite them to provide their perspective because it's different than the, the perspectives around the table. 
to cause people to think about doing things differently. And I, I, I always like to say that a good chair will encourage people to be the first of being first to do something or say something because it's human nature to be the, want to be the first of being third. Human, humans don't want to be the first one or two persons to say or do something, but a good chair will encourage people to bring their, the diversity of their thought or their decision-making characteristics to the boardroom table. But you do have those dominating voices though, that will always seek to yeah. be first and be the dominant voice. What, what's your suggestion on how to manage those voices? Well, I think, uh, well, A, speak up. Um, and the, the, the board meetings often are, they can be dealing with very sensitive or emotional uh, topics. And, but there should still be decorum in all of that. And a good chair, as an example, will note who's, who's had an opportunity to speak on a specific topic. And if somebody put, it starts to speak again, and they're not, and you get this with some personalities that they want to, they want people to hear their voice twice. And a good chair will say, if you have anything new to add, I'd like you to speak. But if you don't, I'd like to, I'd like to hear from the other board members, which is a polite way of saying, we received your message, mm -hmm. but we need others. We need to give space for others to speak as well. And mm -hmm. I've, I've observed this with some board members and chairs of the board where I was serving the board as a, as a staff person. And I was like, wow, that is a teachable moment that where you get someone who's just bombastic um, and wants to make noise. And again, if they're not adding new, if they're not adding new information or a new perspective, then you politely need the mask and to be quiet and let other people speak or call the question if there's no new information. Because that's what boards are often, boards are often there to receive information or make decisions. So let's get on with both. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you, you're touching on that whole piece of how critical it is to have good leadership within the board. And uh, the role of the chair plays a big role in, in that culture within the well, board. Absolutely. And, and I say chair of the board or chair of a committee as an example, because mm -hmm. they set the agendas, you know, and often that's done collegially, perhaps in the private sector, if there's a corporate takeover or something that's very confrontational, you know, that's a, that's a unique situation that most people won't be involved in. And so there's some generally collegiality about suggesting agenda items, you know, consent agendas, things like that, but it's still... Um, you can just get people that are, you know, they're well-intentioned. They're just, as I like to say, sometimes they think they get paid by the word. And that can be very distracting around the boardroom table sometimes. But I think it's it's a, a very good chair will, will, will literally check in if there's an important decision with every single member of the board. They will literally look at them and say, do you have anything else you would like to contribute to this conversation before I call the question? And it's, 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 so, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. Powerful. It is. And I, I think that that, again... If you've got somebody who is new to the board or new to the industry or the, the type of organization that they're on the board with, again, following the sort of the rules of the board, which sometimes is a show of hand, I'd like to speak, especially on Zoom, whether you put your own hand up or a digital hand, but there's nothing wrong with a new board member asking a clarifying question. That is totally acceptable. And it may just seem a bit uncomfortable because what you're saying is, I don't know, but I would like to know. Yeah. And that's oh, really what sure. you're saying. The answer is always in the question, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it is. You know, I think that there's always, you know, the boards have their own cultures and their own nuances. And, you know, I was, there used to be an adage, you know, for the first year, don't say or do anything. I don't know if you've heard this before. Yeah, and I thought, well, that's, that. that makes no sense. Because if you're not, if you're not learning while you're onboarding, and, in, and most boards that I'm involved with have very good onboarding processes. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> yes, and, um, and they can still be informal. They don't, they don't have mm -hmm. to be formal, or you're attached to a more senior member of the board or long-serving member so that you can- Mentorship. Ask, yeah, mentorship. 
or sponsorship, depending on, mm -hmm. on the situation. So you can ask questions about um, things that may, just may tie up the board, which could be process, uh, names, roles, responsibilities, um, you know, the mandate, especially if you're connecting with government and trying to understand the nuances of if you have a mandate, like a, a medical college, as an example, you know, it has a very specific role and it has a delegation of authority from the provincial government. There's reporting requirements and the things they must do that are not negotiable as part of their charter. How they do them can be obviously at the board's discretion, such as professional discipline would be an example for medical professionals and how that's handled. What well, it must happen, the province doesn't prescribe how it does it, but there tends to be a way that those things happen. And if you need to understand why those happen, well, talk to the committee chair, talk to the chair of the board, or obviously during a board meeting or committee meeting, you know, if, if you're not, if it doesn't require a half hour answer, there's clearly, I encourage people to ask, again, clarifying questions about, especially on processes or practices that happen inside organizations mm -hmm. um, that just may not be on it. Because if you don't understand the context of how or who asked for a decision or why they asked for a decision at the board level, especially there where you're, you're being asked to approve something that is either regulatory or could be, you know, the board might be required to approve external communication. You really need to understand why. And that, that doesn't mean you'll withhold your support, but if you're newer, just, you know, asking what I call those clarifying questions about if it's not the, the subject itself at hand, what's, what process led us here? Like, why are we having this conversation or making this decision? It's a great thought. And sometimes great questions come out of that. And sometimes the answer is obvious and there's no question. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Well, you, you are sharing a lot of great, great insights and time is not on our side. I would like to ask you if you have any last minute pointers that you would like to give to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's back to uh, one of or, or another sort of decision making characteristic that you bring to a board beyond your, your, your inherent skill or experience is, you know, again, if you were a good consensus builder, there's nothing wrong with in your letter, if, you're, if you've got a cover letter as the example and you're submitting it to the chair of a nominating committee, tell them that because they may, they may be actually, it could be the deciding factor because they're, they're likely going to have enough people with some specific skill to, like accounting or law. And you know, the, the point of differentiation is saying, I can bring some skills that I'm telling you about skills that I have or, or uh, decision-making characteristics because they may have a crisis on their hands and they, they need a consensus builder. They don't need, they don't need, more, they don't need more conflict. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't need someone who's going to be a critic just for the sake of being a critic. Yeah. And I, I would really encourage people to, to not be shy about it because it will help with the fit on a board. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, in most cases, and I've read nominations or applications, and often, like I said, like if we're looking for someone on a board, as in one of the boards I'm on, we're about to undertake a large construction project. So we need someone with, with construction experience that we don't have on the board, so we put out a call. The, the preferred candidate is someone who has a long history of, as an example, being counselor, because it's a quite a significant financial investment and people are a bit, the board's a bit nervous about it. And we think that she's going to be a great addition because she's able to communicate, that, yes, there are large sums of money, but this is normal yep. in, that, in that context. And it was because she, she communicated about her, her style or her, her, one of her characteristics that, that she brings to the table. And that was the deciding factor. Amazing. Amazing. You and I could talk all day. Yes, about this. I've enjoyed this. <laughs> there is so much to talk about. Uh, we need to continue to have these conversations so we can demystify governance. Yes. So thank you so much for spending the time with me, David. Thank you for the invitation. I very, I very much enjoyed it. You are welcome. I'm sure it's not the last, last time. I'm sure we'll continue yes. the conversations. 
Thank you. Please go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review as your feedback helps us in creating new content that continues to speak directly to you. Remember, good governance is the appeal.